right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. We don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. I'm also sad. KU loses against BYU at Allen Fieldhouse last night. I want to get out in front of this and say that I was not there. There's been some discussion in the past about me being somebody who curses KU because I've been in a lot of KU losses. I was not there last night, so you can't blame this one on me. Can't blame this one on me. But KU loses to BYU at Allen Fieldhouse. We're going to break it down here on the show. There's been a ton of news today uh, that we that I want to get to. Not going to be able to get to all of it today. Probably going to have to get to some of it tomorrow uh, out early on the show today by the way as well at uh, 4:45 for pregame coverage of the KU women's basketball team they're at UCF five o'clock tip so we'll be out pretty early here on the show today at 4:45 for KU women's basketball coverage uh, and then immediately following the KU women's game tonight at seven o'clock we're gonna have uh, high school basketball coverage of substate action right here on KWN it's the Lawrence High boys at Olathe North with uh, Joel Becker and Matt Llewellyn on the call of that one coming up right after the conclusion of the KU women's game uh, at 7 o'clock here on KLWN. Uh, coming up at 3.40, Henry Greenstein is going to join the show. There's been a lot of Chiefs news as well that I want to get to later on this hour. And uh, Henry Greenstein is going to join at 3.40. And some more big news on the KU front, Lance Leipold. He's uh, has signed a new contract. We'll dive into that in the 4 o'clock hour and then touch on KU women's basketball as they get ready to take on UCF, as I said with uh, 4.45 pregame starting right here on KLWN. All right, so off the top here, RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and Kansas, at home, suffers their first loss of the season at Allen Fieldhouse at the hands of BYU, 76-68. An ugly loss in an ugly game. Kansas loses, and this one, this one hurts. This one hurts in a lot of ways. Kansas drops to 21 and 7 overall. They are now 9 and 6 in the conference. Big 12 title hopes done. No chance now basically for the uh, for the Big 12 title. Uh and now I think your attention turns so for the for the Big 12 tournament because of the expansion uh, of having more teams in the Big 12 tournament. Now the most important thing I think for Kansas at this point is just to stay in the top 4 in the Big 12 conference standings because the top 4 teams in the Big 12 conference standings uh, get a bye straight into the quarterfinals of the Big 12 tournament, which I think would be pretty huge for KU. So you want to, at this point, be a top-four seed if you're Kansas because if you drop lower than a four seed, you're, you're going to have to play an additional game, essentially, basically, uh, in the Big 12 tournament on uh, that Wednesday, March 13th. So when you look at the Big 12 tournament schedule, it's uh, on so on Tuesday, you have the 12-13 matchup, the 11-14 matchup, and then on Wednesday... It's five versus the 11-14, or five versus the 12-13 uh, winner. 
eight, nine, seven, ten, and six versus the eleven fourteen winner. Those games all happen on Wednesday. Notice how again, one through four seeds they don't have to play. So if you're a one through four seed, you don't have to play till Thursday when you would then play against the winners of the games on Wednesday. So now I think for Kansas, the most important thing down the stretch here is to stay in the top four. And when you look at the Big 12 standings right now, that might be easier said than done for KU because Kansas still has to go at Baylor and at Houston in these last three games. And right now they are sitting at 9-6, and six, which is tied, for, tied with Baylor for third in the conference. But here's the problem. There are now three teams directly behind Kansas and Baylor that are 8-7, and seven, Texas Tech, BYU, and TCU. And so you have, an, you have a situation here with if you're Kansas where if you're Kansas, you could actually end up being like a 6 or a 7 seed or even 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 further down potentially uh, in the Big 12 tournament depending on how these last three games play out for you. So that's <clears throat> kind of what this loss means going forward. But uh, just a brutal game for Kansas. Uh, they lose at home against BYU. It's Bill Self's 18th loss at Allen Fieldhouse. As I said, I was not there, so you can't blame it on me. Uh, and this was a game that was really tight, really tight game, back-and-forth game. Uh, first half, Kansas maintained a lead through the majority of the first half. Uh, I thought Johnny Furphy was very explosive, especially in transition. Uh, he made some great plays and was able to get out in front of BYU and, and scored some easy buckets uh, for Kansas in that first half. Uh, K.J. Adams had a pretty strong first half as well for KU. Uh, he was pretty effective. I think he had nine, uh, he had nine points in the first half for, for KU. And uh, Hunter Dickinson... We'll, we'll get more into him. In the first half, he had seven points on three of six on the floor, one of three from the line, but a fine half. Uh, but I thought, but Furphy was the guy that popped the most for me in that first half. We saw Bill Self use that that uh, platoon line change strategy again with uh, Jamar McDowell and Elmarco Jackson and Parker Brown. Jamar McDowell ends up hitting the only three of the half for KU uh, in that first half. Kansas one of five from three in the first half. But yeah, it was it was a really really competitive for for uh, first half of basketball. Uh, KU extends it out to a nine point lead late in that first half, and there was really a big three at the end of the half by Jackson Robinson that I think Bill Self was really unhappy with. It seemed like he met, he he's he specifically mentioned that three uh, in post game after after the game, which we'll probably get to Bill Self uh, tomorrow in terms of what he said. After BYU, we just there's a, a lot, a lot of stuff to get to today, uh, in a shorter show. So we'll probably get to his audio tomorrow. But he specifically referenced that three, and it was certainly a big three, right? I mean, I mean, we've had this discussion before, but at the end of the first half, or start going to the second half, you know, you can have a situation where a six point lead feels drastically different from a nine point lead if somebody hits a three down the half, which is which is exactly what happened, uh, because Jackson Robinson hits a three, cuts it down to six at the half. Uh, one of the biggest positives of the game, though, for KU was that start in the second half. They came out in the second half and started very well. Uh, they scored six straight points to get up to 12 and to get up to a 12-point lead. It was 41-29 at that point. And at that point, you're thinking, okay, this is exactly what I had actually talked about uh, leading into the preview of this game on yesterday's show, which is this Kansas team, if they're in a position to to possibly really push this thing over the top against BYU you really need to do it because they BYU can hit threes and they can take a 12-point lead or they can take a nine-point lead and instantly cut it down to a one-possession game if they hit a couple threes in a row consecutively. So that's basically exactly what I was thinking. It's 41-29. I'm sitting there thinking, this is it. This is your moment. You need to push this 
to maybe 15, 18, 20 if you can to give yourself some cushion if you're KU. And that's what we've seen KU do. They're, you know, the, the patented Allen Fieldhouse second half run from Kansas. So they get it out to 41-29, but unfortunately they don't get any further. BYU fights back. They end up uh, BYU ends up scoring six straight points of their own to make it 41-35, and it's kind of back and forth again uh, with KU still maintaining a lead. Uh, and then another uh, kind of big moment early in the second half was the double technical situation that happened with uh, Trevin Nell and uh, Hunter Dickinson happened uh, around the 17-minute mark of that second half, I believe, with uh, Nell getting uh, a technical and Dickinson where he kind of walks into the BYU huddle and uh, kind of provokes BYU a little bit, and that kind of creates a, a stir. And this kind of leads into where I wanted to talk about with Hunter Dickinson. Hunter Dickinson, at times this season, you know, for a guy that seemingly wants to be the villain, for a guy that seemingly wants to have the spotlight on him, for a guy that seemingly wants to be, you know, that catalyst, that sort of spotlight on me type of player, this is not the first time this season where I felt that Hunter Dickinson has maybe not been able to back up having that sort of attitude on the court. Uh, and this this is a situation where this happened, and it, this kind of unfolded throughout the rest of the second half. Uh, Hunter Dickinson ends up basically being not able to hit a free throw for a, a, a majority of the remainder of the second half. He finishes the game just 6 of 15 from the free throw line. And, you know, I think last week or the week before, you know, we had a, had a, a, had a breakdown of, of Hunter Dickinson and the fact that he hasn't been getting the line as much for Kansas this season as he has previously uh, for previous teams at, at Michigan. Well, this was a game where he did, where he was able to get to the line a lot. The officiating was, there was just a ton of fouls in the second half, really, is what it came down to. And Hunter Dickinson got to the line a lot, but he wasn't hitting. Uh, 6 of 15 from the line of the game again. And and he he seemed visibly off kilter. He seemed visibly rattled a little bit. And, and again, the, you know, this is, this is a, KU's at home on top of this, right? You know, I think back to the Texas Tech game. And... Post game of the Texas Tech game, Hunter Dickinson, I, I thought if you went back and watched the the video or, or you know we played the audio on the show here after that game, and Dickinson just seemed seemed completely shell shocked, seemed really really rattled uh, by that by Texas Tech, and I got the same sense again, and again we'll probably hear from Hunter Dickinson. Uh, so it was Dickinson and Furphy post game uh, after the game last night. We'll probably get to that again on tomorrow's show, but but. I just got the sense that, again, same feeling of Dickinson just seemed at, at a loss. He seemed really at a loss. And again, for a guy who I think generally wants to exude this aura of confidence, this aura of I'm the guy, right? You know, all eyes on me. It's it's about me. Uh, for for a guy that, that really seems to welcome that or, or wants to welcome that, I think there's been some times this season where he hasn't been able to back it up where or or it's got to him a little bit and it's affected him mentally. And I think that was the case in this game, uh, specifically at the free throw line when you look at his numbers. He does end up hitting a big three later in later in the game that helps keep Kansas in it. But but yeah, that was kind of an interesting moment and kind of an interesting break point as well in the game. It was a ten point game. K was still up ten at that point. BYU fights back. And the other critical moment that I in the second half that uh, I wanted to highlight was so eventually it, again BYU keeps punching back KU still maintaining between like a three four five point lead 
Uh, up until we get to about the eight-minute mark of the second half, with about eight minutes left, KU's up 52-50 to 50 at that point. And this is where we get the best week, the best sequence of the season from from uh, Parker Brown. So Traore, uh, Fusini Traore is a guy that we'd highlighted as uh, that I highlighted on yesterday's show as being sort of this KJ esque type player, and he causes a lot of problems for Kansas matchup wise. And Bill Self kind of talked about this, where you know there were some situations where. KU doubled on Traore when they didn't, or, you know, went down to help on Traore when they didn't really want to, and that resulted in some three pointers from BYU. Well, Traore gets the ball down low against Parker Brown. Kansas up by two with eight minutes left. Parker Brown draws a charge. Traore lowers his shoulder into him. Parker Brown draws a charge. Great play. Great, uh, you know, brainy play from Parker Brown. And then on top of that, that, that eventually leads to a Mark Pope technical, which, okay. You can't really blame Mark Pope, I think, for getting a technical at that point because KU got in the double bonus with like 10 minutes left in the second half. I mean, it was just foul palooza, uh, and mainly on BYU, to be honest, for a good chunk of that second half. So it's 52-50. Offensive foul goes against Traore. The technical gets picked up by Mark Pope at that point. And Dewan Harris goes and makes two free throws. KU's up four. They get the ball again, and Parker Brown makes an awesome slip play on an alley-oop, and Dewan Harris throws it to him for a big dunk. Again, I think that's probably the best sequence, consecutive sequence of plays from Parker Brown we've seen maybe all season. And that gets KU back up six with about seven and a half minutes left. And at that point, I'm getting the same feeling I had earlier in the half where it's, okay, you're up six, but you need to push this more because, again, I think BYU can, can strike back. And BYU kind of regathers a little bit they get it to BYU, gets it to 4, 58, 54. Then they hit a three, get it to one. And then they hit another three, actually, to eventually take the lead 62 to 60 with uh, at the under four timeout. So then at that point, you know, okay, this is, this is going to be a scrappy, ugly dogfight down the stretch. And the funny thing about that is I think, you know, typically Bill Self would say those are the types of games that he likes. Scrappy, ugly you know, muddy it up type, dogfight type games. And those are the types of games that we see Bill Self win so often. Now, the reason I think why in this game that was bad for KU is because of the fact of how BYU plays. When you have a scrappy, ugly game like this and a tight game like this, and you have a team like BYU that that wants to shoot a lot of threes, man, all it takes is one or two made threes in the span of a minute and that totally changes the complexity of the game. This is exactly what I was talking about. In a game like this, where and it, it's it's been a tight game, Kansas has not really been able to shoot the ball very well. They're not hitting free throws. Points are hard to come by. Man, two threes from BYU, six, you know, six points in a game like this that could feel like twelve points in the span of a minute or something like that. So that's where I, I was very very concerned at this point because I just got the sense if BYU is going to keep firing. They, they eventually are going to hit a couple, and it could be some real problems. Well, that did happen when it was 63-60. Uh, to 60. Nick Timber, or when it was 63-60, to si- yeah, 63 to 60, yeah. Uh, BYU was up by three. Timberlake hits a three to tie it up. BYU immediately answers. But then Kansas answers back again with Hunter Dickinson with hitting another three. Kansas, by the way, so for, you know, for 
38 for 37 minutes basically of game time, Kansas hit one three against BYU. And it was Jamar McDowell in the first half. You get back to back here basically from KU. And they needed him uh, to stay in the game. To make it 66-66. Hunter Dickinson, that three from him, by the way, comes with 227 left in the game. KU does not make another shot after that. And that's really the crux of the issue because what happened? BYU comes back, they hit another three, right? And that that last one, I think, was probably the biggest one that they hit. It was 68-66, and it was uh, Dallin Hall who hits a three kind of straight away from the top of the key to make it 71-66. And again, in a, five, in a game like this, five points feels like a lot more, and Kansas couldn't claw back. And like I said, they end up they end up not making another shot the rest of the game. It was Timberlake who hits the two free throws to give him sixty eight, and and Kansas loses. So, yeah, just a uh, an ugly game for KU. And I think the bottom line for this game, a couple things. Number one, BYU made thirteen threes, which again I think if you probably pregame you'd say well. Yeah, you'd probably maybe take that, I guess. I mean, that's a lot of threes, but you you expect them to do that. I think Bill Self mentioned uh, pregame yesterday that, or in his interview back on in his post game in his pregame interview back on uh, on on Monday, he said that he thought BYU should thirty five. Well, they shot thirty four, made thirty made thirteen of them for about thirty eight percent. And on the flip side, you combine that with KU making three threes, but that's not really the issue, I don't think. Because Kansas coming in, you knew they weren't going to shoot. You knew Kansas wasn't going to shoot a lot of threes. KU shoots under 40% from the floor in the game. And most importantly, they go 19 of 31 from the free throw line. And with the way that this team is built, with the way that this Kansas roster is constructed, especially without Kevin McCuller, and Bill Self has even said this, I think he's said this multiple times throughout the season, with this particular KU team, the margin for error is very, very thin. The margin for error is very small. You cannot make a lot of mistakes. You cannot ex- you cannot not be able to execute at a high level for a good, for 40 minutes and expect to win. I don't care if you're playing BYU or whoever. We've seen it from Kansas in other games. If Kansas is not efficient in the post, efficient in the paint, and efficient on their shooting, plus they can't hit free throws, you're going to have a hard time beating just about anybody. Period. That's the bottom line. And that's what happened with Kansas here. Shot under 70% from the free throw line. In fact, shot damn near 60% from the free throw line. But again, 39% from the floor, and they weren't efficient inside. And, and again, I, I don't think it matters if you're playing BYU or whoever. You're just not going to win a lot of games the way this team is built because they don't have the firepower to shoot from three. And, and again, that's fine. I don't think that, you know, that I, I don't, I'm not, well, when I say it's fine, I don't mean it's, it's, it's like good. I just mean it's like, okay. You don't, you're, not, you're not going to be a team that's going to be able to have the firepower to shoot from three. That doesn't mean you can't win games. It, it, what, it, what it does mean is, again, it just means that your margin for error, especially against 
opponents that are going to shoot the ball well from three or shoot a lot of threes, it just means that your margin for error is extremely, extremely negligible in the sense of you are going to have to execute at a high level with your offense, score from inside, because that's how, you, that's how you're built to score, basically. Not turn it over and make free throws. And that's just not what happened in this game. So, it's very disappointing. In some ways, and I want to get to this kind of with Henry Greenstein coming up in about 15 minutes. In some ways, this maybe kind of relieves some of the pressure off of KU because even though the even though the Big 12 title has been virtually out of reach already, now it's now you're saying, okay, we're done with the Big 12 title. And and Bill Self has talked about has already kind of said this publicly about focusing on getting to be their best in getting to be their best in in coming into March. Well guess what? March is, you know, two days away. But now it feels like you can focus on, okay, we need to figure out who we're gonna be. We need to figure out what's Kevin McCullough's status going to be. Now it feels like the the solution I think the solution to the Kevin McCullough conundrum becomes easier here where you can just say, hey, we need you to be hundred percent. But Bill Self, you know, has has pushed back on that uh, with hit with his angle basically being, we don't want Kevin to be totally rested coming into the NCAA tournament because we want him to be in rhythm. We want to know what we're dealing with once we get rhythm wise once he gets the NCAA tournament. So I don't know. You're running out of time on that, I guess. So maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't simplify or make the Kevin conundrum easier. But yeah, the the bottom line is, regardless of if you're at home, regardless of who you're playing, if you're Kansas. Your margin for error is just pretty thin. You just can't really play poorly, play badly, and think you're going to win. And in previous years for Kansas, that's honestly, in previous years for Kansas, that's kind of been the case. They've been able to play poorly and still find ways to win. I don't know that this team is going to be able to find many ways to win when playing poorly or not at a B or A game. 76-68, Kansas loses. We'll get more into this uh, later on with Henry Greenstein. Also going to get to the Lance Leipold news of his contract extension coming up at the 4 o'clock hour. Out early at 4.45 today for KU Women's basketball coverage. Did want to briefly touch on some Chiefs news coming up on the other side. And as I said, Henry Greenstein is going to join the show in about 15 minutes from right now. You're listening to Rock Talk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Half past three here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World is going to join the show in just under 10 minutes from right now. In the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get more into Lance Leipold. Probably talk about Lance Leipold with uh, Henry Greenstein a little bit as well. Dive more into that in the 4 o'clock hour, uh, as well as uh, some KU women's basketball talk. And then we'll be out at 445 for coverage of KU women's basketball right here on KLWN. With uh, pregame at 4.45, tip-off 5 o'clock as they're on the road against UCF. And uh, we'll get more into that as well in the 4 o'clock hour leading into that. Uh, so, also, a lot of big news from the Chiefs today. As uh, MVS, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. See ya. He's gone. He's out of here. Uh, the Chiefs cut MVS. They saved, like, I think $12 million by doing so. Uh, I, I saw some, some discussion about, well... Could you maybe re-sign him back on a much significantly cheaper deal? But, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. 
I, I, I just, I'm just curious if it's a situation where it's okay. MVS, thanks for the memories, man. Thanks for the postseason plays. You were, uh, you're a back-to-back Super Bowl champion. Your service is no longer required because we can't pay you 14 million for 300 yards during the regular season. In which case, I think I'm fine, right? I think, I think for a lot of these fans, is this situation where it's. If MVS comes back on a significantly, significantly cheaper deal, I don't know that anybody would be necessarily too upset about that. But if he's if he's gone and he's on his merry way, great, fantastic. That means more opportunities for guys like Rusty Rice, more opportunities for everybody else, for the other receivers that the Chiefs have that could actually be better. Uh, also, the Chiefs officially tagged Legereus Sneed. I know there was a report yesterday that he that it seemed that, that it was heading in that direction. That kind of became official as well, and it seems as though the Chiefs are making their plays pretty clear at this point, which is potentially tag and trade Snead and try to focus on re-signing Chris Jones. And I think re-signing Chris Jones becomes maybe the first, if, if that is their strategy. And again, I've, I've kind of been on record saying, Man, I don't know. I think I'd almost rather have Snead than Jones, but if that is the strategy that the Chiefs are going to go with, the sooner the better in terms of signing Chris Jones. The sooner the better, right? Obviously, I think they, I would hope they learned their lesson from last season that you do not want this crap to draw to be drawn out, right? So uh, I guess we'll see how things play out there. And then also one of the quick thing with the Chiefs that we might get into more on tomorrow's show, uh, some uh, they announced their Arrowhead Stadium renovations. My initial reaction when I saw the renderings was, wait a minute, where's Kaufman? Duh, Kaufman's going to get blown up and torn down. So I don't know, the Chiefs, dude, honestly, the Royals leaving could actually end up being great for the Chiefs because they might have a chance to legitimately, and that's kind of what the, some of the renderings shown, legitimately kind of build like this entertainment-type district almost next to Arrowhead Stadium that they can use for fans to come in and you know have it be this big destination for game days and whatnot, and I don't know. I thought that was interesting. We'll get more into that probably on tomorrow's show a little bit. Do got to take a break here, and we're going to be joined by Henry Greenstein next here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk from the Lawrence Journal World. That's on the other side. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th and Black Bob in Olathe. Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Kansas basketball loses last night against BYU at Allen Fieldhouse. And right now we are joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. And Henry, in that KU game last night, I guess, I, I don't even know really where you want to start with this. Just kind of an ugly loss to an ugly game in an ugly game for Kansas. In, in your eyes, what was kind of the what maybe went wrong, what are the biggest factor uh, of things that went wrong for Kansas losing this game? I mean, to me, I, I feel like they played well enough from a defensive perspective that they could have won, but the offense down the stretch was just so unbelievably painful to watch. I mean, I don't know. It felt like they were kind of on autopilot or something, just like 
hold the ball, pass it around the perimeter, and then when it gets down to a certain number of seconds in the shot clock, just give it to Dewan Harris and hope he can do something. And you know, hope is the operative word there because, as Bill Self said, they played like they were hoping to score rather than BYU, which is actually running offense to score. I don't know. It was just a a dreadful display on that side of the ball, and then. You know, like, even then, if Hunter Dickinson makes more free throws, maybe you win. And even then, if uh, if Nick Timberlake doesn't, like, pull up for a contested jumper down five, maybe you have a chance of winning. Like, w- w- when uh, Timberlake and Dickinson made those back-to-back threes late, tied at 66, I kind of thought, okay, well, KU's going to win like they always do at Allen. and Just uh, simply did not happen. And honestly, I'm not sure they deserved to after that performance. Yeah, and when you look at Hunter Dickinson specifically and kind of what happened with him where, I mean, I don't even know how to describe you know what happened. He ends up going 6-15 of 15 from the free throw line. Still ended up making that three late, as you said, but uh, he seemed pretty pretty down on himself uh, post-game. I know you, you kind of asked him a question about it, and, and he seemed pretty uh, you know pretty at a loss, really. What, what was kind of your takeaway overall from, from kind of what happened with him on the court and then maybe after the game, uh, what, what you thought from him? Yeah, actually, I was kind of wondering at, when I asked that question, like, should I have been more specific, like hone in on something to really try to get an answer out of it? Because the same thing happened, I think it was after the Kansas State loss. Someone asked Hunter about something, and he had a long hesitation. And But I don't really blame him for not being able to pinpoint a specific reason because, I don't know, it just felt like everything that could go wrong was going wrong, especially for him. And you know, it's unfortunate to see, especially for a guy who, who prides himself on performing in the clutch and has at times this year uh, had the game winner against TCU, even hitting that three when he was like, I just ran the number today. It was He's like, he, but prior to that, he was like two of 23 in his last however many games from beyond the arc. And hitting that three was clutch. It's just it was surrounded by, uh, I guess, him getting the yips at the free throw line, which you don't really – much in basketball and yeah just I you have to hope if you're a KU fan that that memory doesn't come back to haunt him in some future close game down the road obviously we didn't get a chance to chat after the after the Saturday game against Texas uh but I did want to touch on kind of this new substitution strategy we've seen from Bill Self it works really well against Texas against BYU it I think overall you'd say it worked pretty well in the first half and the second half not so much uh, what's kind of been your thoughts on this new attempt at trying to figure out how to sub for, for, for Bill Self and use his bench? Well, I think it makes a huge amount of sense. I mean, if you only have three distinct groups of players that you have to prepare plays for, and you know, Bill Self mentioned he had a little play sheet divided into different groups because it was a new approach to him. I mean, the chemistry works out better. The scheme works out better. You get to rest people more. I think it's great. I think that yesterday showed how precarious a system like that can be. I mean, in Texas, and I, I talked about this before and wrote about it, that was like a charmed game. KU could not do anything wrong. It's worst moment somehow ended up working out. And that included the substitution system. It was not disrupted in any meaningful way. But when Johnny Furphy picked up those two fouls early, I feel like that showed the first kind of crack in that system because then, you know, that automatically messes up what you're doing. And then, you know, Nick Timberlake has to go out for a bit. That disrupts it further. There were times where uh, Self wanted to put Parker Brown out. There. I, I, I feel like it just revealed the system is a little tenuous, but I think it is good enough and worthy enough when it is working that they should stick with it. 
Yeah, that was kind of my question is, and even more so, I think, when you look at the Texas game, you know, Texas had a lot of small guards, and the way the system kind of worked against the Texas game was there were times where it was Hunter Dickinson with Dewan Harris, Timberlake, McDowell, and Omarco Jackson out there, which that's a that's a pretty small that's a pretty small lineup, right? And it worked because Texas had some small guards. So I just wondered matchup wise if it was gonna work out. And, and yeah, I think to your point, it's definitely overall better than maybe what KU was doing before, I guess, and what Bill Self was doing before, but it seems like they are still trying to work out some of the kinks, right? I agree with you. Uh, yeah, just in general. I, I, th- I think it seems like a good way of making use of a, a team that has very limited personnel. And you'd think that having a lineup replete with small guards would have been good against BYU, which mostly was a four-out kind of offense, even if one of the guys out was six eleven. But, yeah, for whatever reason, it didn't work for them. And, uh, again, I just keep thinking about how and this is a testament to how successful they've been in Allen Fieldhouse. Like, that was really, really bad in the second half, and especially in terms of some of the defense, or rather the offense. But even then, they still almost won it. There was a tie game with 2.30 to go. So, yeah, I mean, you can see why they don't lose there often. But, yeah, this was kind of a shock to the system, especially because I felt like, optimism was running high after the Texas game and in and outside of the team. Well, we've kind of talked about the worry scale and now with Kevin McCuller again, uh, I guess I'll, I'll kind of ask you again, what's, what's kind of your worry scale at this point? I mean, Bill Self is, is, is throwing around statements like, well, if Kevin plays again this season, like, I don't know, where, where are you at at this point with, with the Kevin McCuller worry scale? Oh, I'm, I'm up even higher than I was before. I think I'm at like an eight now. I mean, assuming 10 is like, feeling that he's going to be out for a year. Yeah, I think at this point, 10 is basically, if you're a 10, you're saying, okay, he's not playing again. Yeah, okay, so I think, yeah, I'm probably up to an 8 right now. I mean, I think that, I don't know if it's a motivational tactic, I don't know if it's just being pragmatic, but I, Bill Self has given us no reason to feel more optimistic than an 8 on the worry scale at this point with his comments. It feels like, Things just get a little bit more dire each time we talk to him. And, you know, last night saying we have to continue to prepare like he's not coming back. Uh, we hope for it, but we're not. Ca- I guess we hope for it, but we're not counting on it. Isn't the most severe response. But I don't know. It, it, it sounds like it's far worse than anyone could have anticipated. And I wonder how different things would have been overall if he hadn't played at Oklahoma. I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, I wrote about this pretty extensively, but I think last night was the first time we really saw just how important he is to the team and all the weaknesses that he helps cover up when he's out there, when he's healthy specifically, because, you know, in the period where he's been playing with this injury for like five weeks, as self-described it, he hasn't been as good. But like the things that he did prior to January 22nd, uh, are now starting to be revealed as weaknesses for the remainder of the team when he's not out there. I've got a different worry scale for you also here. with uh, As it relates to Johnny Furphy, he's continuing to pop up higher and higher on, on NBA mock drafts. I thought last night, you know, even though he doesn't hit from three, early in the game especially, he showed his explosiveness in transition and made some really athletic plays. At, at this stage, is that something that you're really worried about with, with the possibility of Johnny Furphy saying, hey, if I have a chance to go in the top eight of the NBA draft, maybe I just go ahead and, and do that instead of trying to come back to KU? Um, I don't know about that specific range, but, yeah, certainly I feel like at this point he's, 
he's showing more and more growth on a daily basis that indicates that he has that sky-high potential that everyone thinks he does. I mean, yesterday, that was a pretty bad shooting performance, but he rebounded like a fiend, and he he now is, like, going off the dribble. <laughs> That's the thing that, you know, coaches have been saying they're trying to get him to put the ball on the floor. Well, now he's doing it with confidence, and you know, not always making shots, but he's like driving and making moves to the basket and stuff. And that just mere days ago, I believe that that's something Rodney Terry said they were trying to get him to do, but he's now just sort of doing it. I mean, it's remarkable the strides he's made. And I mean, at this point, it certainly seems like he, he could be a really high pick. And I don't think anyone, well, maybe he will be upset, but I don't think anyone would begrudge him going to the draft if, if he continues on that trajectory. What do you think about this Kansas team overall? Do you, do you get the sense that maybe the the margin for error with this team is is pretty thin? The fact that you do have a lack of three point shooting that you really it, for KU to be successful here down the stretch, they're going to need to be playing at at a higher level uh, than what they showed against BYU. Oh, absolutely, and and I think it's important to stress that BYU didn't have a crazy shooting performance. They had basically like an average shooting performance, you know, maybe a little bit higher, but nothing out of the ordinary really and and it was what made it especially ironic or had a dark humor to it was that they shot the exact amount of threes that Bill Self had predicted he he said in his press conference on Monday you know we shot three threes against Texas or we made three threes against Texas if BYU makes 13 then we're getting outscored by 30 points well that's exactly what happened KU made three threes and BYU made 13 and they got outscored by 30 points from behind the line so yeah i i think that you know for when a team does get lucky from beyond the arc Iowa State West Virginia come to mind KU's going to have to be better because BYU wasn't especially lucky they were just high volume and while no one is quite as high volume as BYU, unless you somehow end up in the tournament against like North Florida or something, I I think that they'll have to do a little bit better than that. When you think about going forward here for KU, the Big 12 regular season title at this point officially kind of out of reach. Uh, but in my mind, they still have quite a bit to play for here down the stretch because if you are a top four team right now in the Big 12, you can avoid playing uh, in the second round of the Big 12 tournament, go straight to the quarterfinals. Just how important do you think something like that is for KU to, to still maintain a top-four seed so that they can maybe not have to play an extra game in the Big 12 tournament? I think that is extremely important because at that point, of course, they won't be benefiting from like the extended timeouts and half-times of the NCAA tournament. And I think the fewer days in a row this team can have to play a game, the better, um, especially if they don't have Kevin McCuller. Um I think that it would be pretty brutal for them if they had to go starting on Wednesday and then on to Thursday and then on from there. I, I, and, and that's a very real possibility at this point. You know, they are 9-6 and six in conference, but I believe as of now there are like eight teams that are have seven or more, or between seven and nine wins. So in order to hold on to that tied for third spot they're in now with the tiebreaker over Baylor currently, of course, they're going to have to probably steal one on the road, I have to feel, because no one else is dealing with as brutal a schedule as they are in these last three games. And, yeah, it, it, it's not looking good, and obviously having to play on, on an earlier day like that would be kind of unprecedented, not only because the conference is now larger, but also because those self-teams just don't really find themselves below third in the conference. 
We're talking with Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Switching over to some KU football news. Uh, some big news earlier today with Lance Leipold having signed, a, in a, I guess, an amended contract is the proper term because it wasn't really an extension, I don't think. But uh, what, what was kind of your reaction initially to, to that news uh, with Lance Leipold uh, signing the new contract? Well, I think it was only a matter of time once he didn't go to Washington, which many were reporting was pretty close to at least that Washington really wanted him. And I think ever since that happened, it was pretty clear that an extension was coming at some point. Uh, I guess, although, as you said, not technically an extension. And I think part of that may just be due to Lance's age. You know, I don't know if it's really super meaningful uh, to extend something a billion years into the future. But, yeah, I mean, Travis Goff said a few months ago he wanted he wanted Lance to coach at KU until the wheels fall off. And this is another commitment to doing that. Um a raise of about $2 million a year in terms of average annual value. You know, obviously that includes some bonuses. And I, I did the math if you want to go look at my article on KU Sports. But suffice it to say, um, a, a substantial raise for him. But also, perhaps even more importantly, uh, he's got a nice pool of money from which to hire staff, both coaches and non-coaching staff members. And um, I have to imagine that'll be important if, if other teams keep hunting for help from KU, uh, like happened this offseason. So uh, that was significant to see as well. But, yeah, on the whole, uh, uh, just a, a good move for KU, I think. And uh, I'm sure many fans are rejoicing as a result. Yeah, I mean, you think about the uh, financial investment that KU continues to pour into its football program. Just just how important do you think it was then in this, in this particular instance to, to show that at the top as well as Lance Leipold, right? I mean, obviously with the stadium and everything, but what about specifically with Lance, the significance of making that move now? Yeah, I mean, there's no guarantee that anyone else can lead KU to success just based on the program's history. So you have to ride with him for as long as you can simply because of what he's accomplished. I mean, he's gotten as many wins. He's gotten more wins in his three seasons than they had in the previous nine. Like, that that's unparalleled. Uh, and that's a demonstration of just how thoroughly unparalleled it is. Um, I think it's really smart of them to, to use whatever money they can muster in order to lock him down. And, um, you know, his assistant hires have given confidence that even with his staff turnover that he hasn't been accustomed to, he can keep things going in the future. Um, and you want to have that guy continuing to hire assistants for you. So overall, just, yeah, a, a great move with a lot of symbolism to it. And by the way, I mean, the, the reason why those stadium renovations are happening, in my opinion, is because of the momentum that, that Leifold has generated. So those things feed into each other. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And, of course, this also comes on the heels of KU basically getting ready for, for spring ball here coming up as well. Just real quickly, I, I we'll have plenty of time as, as spring moves along here to get more into this, but in your eyes, what is the maybe the number one thing you're looking for at the beginning of, of this upcoming spring ball for KU? Well... <laughs> I think the number one thing I'm looking for may be different from the number one thing that everyone else is going to want to hear about, which is Jalen Daniels all the time. I think that I've mentioned this in previous weeks when we've alluded to spring ball. I think it's going to be endless Jalen Daniels injury discussion, much like the regular season was endless Jalen Daniels injury discussion. That being said, one thing I'm interested in, Shane Bumgarner. Uh, You know, Mike Nowitzki was was in the Leipold system for quite a long time. Now you're bringing a new center from the Division II level. You're putting a lot of pressure on him to anchor the offensive line right away. 
Uh, and especially with, with a new offensive line coach. I didn't even think about that until now, but it should be an interesting confluence of factors. And, you know, someone's got to snap the ball to Jalen Daniels. Uh, so that's just one guy I'll be keeping an eye on in the spring. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I think it is interesting, right, just beyond Jalen Daniels. But uh, we'll have plenty of time to, to talk about Jalen Daniels as well. And, and don't worry, the Jalen Daniels worry scale will return also <laughs> get closer to the uh, start of spring ball. Uh, but uh, for now, here's Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Turner World. Henry, appreciate your time as always. Uh, you got anything going on right now with the Lawrence Turner World? I mean, I know there's a lot with K football now with that contract and K basketball, but anything specific you want people to go check out right now? Uh, not particularly. Yeah, read the story about the contract. I don't know. I think I think our various writers have kind of been killing it recently. I've had a lot of really good like women's basketball and preps coverage on ljworld.com too. So just check all that out and make sure you read it, even though it's not like the number one marquee thing that everyone automatically always wants to read. I think it's well-deserving of everyone's attention and super interesting. He is Henry Greenstein, once again, of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. And as you said, go check out all his work and more over there on KU Sports. Henry, appreciate your time as always, man, and enjoy the rest of your week. Yep, talk to you later. That was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, only about 45 minutes to go. We're out early at 445 for coverage of KU women's basketball uh, here on KLWN with pregame at 445 for a 5 o'clock tip-off between KU and UCF. So we'll be out a little bit early. Want to get more into Lance Leipold's contract coming up next, though. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. We are out early on the show today at 4.45, so in about 40 minutes from right now, we'll be out for coverage of KU Women's Basketball right here on KLWN. They're on the road against UCF. Pre-game will start at 4.45 for a 5 o'clock tip for Kansas and UCF. We'll dive a little bit more into that game coming up later on this hour before we get to that coverage. Uh, don't forget also tonight, after the KU Women's game at 7 o'clock, we'll be switching over to high school basketball coverage. Uh, the uh, substate, it'll be the Lawrence High boys on the road against Olathe North. Free State uh, on the girls' side lost last night against Derby. And LHS on the girls' side last night at home lost against Olathe North in a very tight game, close game. But they they lost as well. So tonight it'll be Lawrence High on our airwaves here on KLWN. Free State also be in action tonight down in Wichita on the boys' side also. So uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Of course, you'll be able to hear the uh, Lawrence High Olathe North game right here on KWN at 7 o'clock, immediately following the conclusion of the KU women's game. So, some big news earlier in the day today that I touched on there with Henry Greenstein right before the break about Lance Leipold signing, again, not a contract extension because it didn't actually add any years to the contract, but an amended contract. This came from uh, Pete Thamel earlier uh, earlier in the day today, this morning. Uh, Kansas has agreed to a new contract for Coach Lance Leipold that features a significant raise in his average salary to more than $7 million per year, putting him in the top three average salary in the Big 12. He then followed that up with a second tweet that said, Leipold's salary bump does not include new years on the deal. It's part of a bigger investment in Kansas football by A.D. Travis Goff as Kansas has invested $450 million in a f- football stadium and facility upgrades and also a significant uptick in, in on-field and support staff salary. And, yeah, that's kind of the headline of the contract is that it, it's going to increase Lance Leipold's pay 
However, it, it doesn't actually add any terms to it. So right now, it's uh, it, his contract is set to run through 2030. So it's uh, six years with uh, an effective ending date of April 30th, 2030. Uh, is the is the uh, current contract that that they've signed him to, and so uh, again his his pay increases for f- uh, for the term of the contract over what he'd already been making, and kind of what uh, Henry talked about there as well at the end of that interview was this has something that has seemed like it's been coming for a while. Seems like it's been the works for a while after the uh, Washington situation, in which for about forty five minutes on a Sunday afternoon. Back in January, it seemed like uh, Lance Leipold was going to be the next coach of Washington. Especially if you happen to be perusing the uh, Washington message boards during that time period. They seemed convinced that Lance Leipold was going to be their next head coach. But then it seems as though maybe part of the part of kicking off this discussion or these negotiations at KU was able to keep Lance Leipold with Kansas. The infamous tweet from Lance Leipold as well, kind of uh, saying that he's going to be returning to KU essentially. And so I think probably from that day, certainly that day until now, I think this has been probably an ongoing discussion, ongoing conversations behind closed doors about uh, you know the terms of all this and how they want to iron everything out. And so it, it does increase Lance Leipold's pay quite a bit overall. Which is certainly very significant. And should not go, you know, unnoticed because of the fact that, I mean, Lance Leipold is, I, and, and I thought Henry made a great point about this too, Lance Leipold, there are not, it's not a guarantee you're going to be able to find another coach that's going to be able to do what Lance Leipold has done. In terms of the rebuild, how quickly the rebuild has has happened, and so on and so forth. So, Certainly, you want to keep him in in house as much as you can, and this is part of that, right? Is continuing this investment along with the Gateway Project and, and all that other stuff. But on top of that, the increases in assistant coach and salary staff pools, and I, you know, you, you get the sense that that is something that is important for Lance Leipold. You know, he's a guy that's a process-driven guy. He's a guy that clearly likes to have continuity among his support staff and you know in one way or another you could have you should have seen this coming of the idea of well hey man the more success you guys start to have other teams are going to recognize that and say hey you know those those are some up-and-coming coaches we'd like to have and then you start to see guys getting picked off so I think the that was kind of probably an important aspect of it as well and in terms of I thought the incentives uh, that were part of this were interesting so uh, as part of this new contract for Lance Leipold, there's a $50,000 bonus for a top 25 finish in one or more of the national polls at the end of the season, an extra $50,000 for winning seven regular season games, an extra $200,000 for winning nine or more regular season games, which he didn't actually hit last year, I guess, because he only won eight regular season games. So that's all. That's all interesting. Uh, I I was curious. I was looking at the terms of the contract. I was curious if there would be anything about making the college football playoff, any sort of major incentives uh, about that. And as far as I can tell, just from looking at it, I didn't see any uh, any other any additional incentives in terms of 
making the college football playoff or anything like that. But it is it is uh, something that, that I thought would be kind of interesting. So uh, there's some discussion and there's some stuff in the contract about Lance Leipold getting a membership in a private airplane company, yada yada yada, whatever. And then uh, and then there was I also saw some some people on on social media looking questioning the buyout, right? Because, but I I almost wonder if this is maybe fake concern at this point. I mean, if Lance Leipold did not was not going to go to Washington or Michigan. You know, Washington, a team that was in the national championship. Michigan, a team that won the national championship. Obviously, they, they end up going with they end up going with uh, Sean Moore, you know, in-house. But if schools like that are not that interested, or I guess I, I don't, not, not interested is not the right term, but aren't going to lure away Lance Leipold. And the discussion was around the, the buyout of this of this of this contract. Like basically I think the idea was, okay, what's the buyout gonna be? Because it needs to be hopefully higher so that that deters other schools from possibly trying to, to get Lance Leipold. Which I think in a lot of ways is kind of a, a somewhat ridiculous notion because uh, and if another school, probably another power five school, because of the success Lance Leipold has had comes in and says we want Lance Leipold and Lance Leipold says yeah I'm that's that's cool with me the buyout is not going to be a, a, a hindrance to any school trying you know if it's like a Wisconsin or if it's a Nebraska right that really really wants him that really really wants Lance Leipold the buyout's not going to be not going to be a hindrance to that I mean let, let's just let's just let's just face facts here that's not gonna that's not gonna stop the train but in case you are curious, the buyout is for the 2024 season. If the contract gets terminated before April 30th, 2024, it's six million. After that, it goes down to five million between 2024, 2025, four million in 2025, 26, three million, two million. You get the idea. Down to 2028. So in the short term, it's I think I just I don't know I just I think it's somewhat irrelevant. To be quite honest, uh, just because of if there is another school over the next year or two, like a Wisconsin or an, or, or a Nebraska, that really really wants Lance Leipold and he wants to leave, I think the buyout's not going to stop that, uh, which is interesting. So, but the overall contract, uh, and this comes from KUSports.com, it uh, gives Lance Leipold a one million dollar signing bonus. And gives him an initial salary of now six point five million in the full first year of the contract, which starts in May of twenty twenty four, and increases to seven point two five million by the end of the deal. So that's kind of how everything breaks down on this uh, on this contract. And and again, this is significant news for KU because you want to feel secure at this point. I think with Lance Leipold and. I think it's safe to say with this contract, you probably do feel secure. I mean, I think we can probably put to bed, you know, like I said, unless unless a Nebraska or a Wisconsin comes open, I think we can probably put to bed the hysteria of Lance Leipold possibly leaving Kansas. If I mean, if he didn't, again, circle back to the Washington situation, if he didn't leave for that, I think we're probably in the clear. 
in the short term. That's just my guess, uh, barring anything crazy, which is great because Lance Leipold, I think, is uh, is really the driving engine of this of this whole renaissance of KU football. And you take away the driving engine, the conductor, so to speak, and it and it could and it really could all collapse, right? I think over this past and even still now, but last year and I think this year as well, maybe even into 2025 potentially, you're in a phase for KU where you are in some ways a bit of a house of cards in the sense of if you take away Lance Leipold at this stage, you're going to be taking away everything basically. The, you know, the, it might, the whole thing might collapse. But once you've got the new stadium built, once you've got all everything that all that's all that good to go, once you've had Lance Leipold here for long enough to sort of establish a baseline of kind of the new, the new era of, of KU football truly, then I think at that point you can say, okay, this program could potentially withstand something like losing Lance Leipold. So in the short term, I think KU's done a nice job of making sure, okay, now you've got the cemented contract, you're in a position now where you can maintain him in the short term. Get this stuff done. You've shown the investment that you have in KU football. And honestly, I mean, if you want to look even further into the future, if you want to project even further in the future, if you want to project even further into the future, all this investment from KU, the new stadium, once it's built, the new facilities, all that stuff, it's probably going to make KU a fairly attractive position for your next prospective head coach, whenever that may be, in the next you know, five years, right? Or six years, I guess, because Leipold's contract is through, 30, is through 2030. So probably in the next five to six years, you're going to be needing to start looking for your next head coach. And this may become more of an attractive destination because of all that. They're going to, you know, you're, they're going to say, hey, they got a, they got a new stadium. This is a program that has shown that they are going to invest. And now on the flip side of this, it'll, and I guess we'll see what happens going forward, but it'll, Come down to the fans as well. On top of that, of of continuing to continuing to support through NIL, through season tickets, through all that stuff, right? I mean, obviously, it'll be tough to kind of gauge that this year because of the fact that you're going to be playing at Arrowhead slash slash Children's Mercy Park. But yeah, you feel like you're in a stable position now, and now I think with this contract, you feel like you're no longer in a house of cards. You're now are in a stable position where okay. Let's go to work. You've got a great chance coming up this season to go for a Big 12 title. And then if you get that, then you're going to be in the college football playoff. And who knows beyond that, right? And you've got uh, uh, an elite quarterback coming back, hopefully healthy. I guess we'll kind of see on that one. You've got an elite running back. Great weapons on the offensive side. You've lost your elite pass rush on the defensive side, but you've still got some elite coverage guys coming back, and you feel pretty good. Now it's full focus. And 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 I, I wonder to a certain extent if Lance Leipold maybe if this wasn't part of the discussion of, hey, this needs to get done before the start of spring ball so that as soon as we hit spring ball, it's all everything on the field. Let's focus on the field and let's let's go try to win a big twelve championship and let's go to try to, to have an, an an incredible year for K football and maybe go down as one of the best years that K football can ever have. Because that would be the case. If you win if you win the Big Twelve title and you go to the college football playoff, no matter what happens in the playoff, it's already the best season in KU history, I would think. Uh, so <laughs> that's pretty remarkable to think about. 
but yeah, I think this I think this really solidifies things. It allows you now, if you're Lance Leipold, to focus on the field. And I think Travis Goff, again, I know I've talked about it before, but Travis Goff deserves a ton of credit. Deserves a ton of credit for what he's done and the enthusiasm that he's brought and the support that he has seemed to garner from both internally in the athletic department and also with some of the stuff he's done outside that's shown that he is a guy that you can you can trust, you can rely on to be all in on KU Athletics. Which is which is really great to see. And hopefully, you know, Goff is somebody, you know, at this point I think it's okay. You got to make sure you keep Goff around as long as you can as well. If you're KU to continue building all of this. So now it just comes down to, hey, get the stadium built. You know, I went down there. I went down the, down to the hill over the weekend, checked it out, super, supervised a little bit of the construction. I don't know. They seem to be doing okay to me. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a construction guy, obviously, but they seem to be doing okay with me. You know, you know, you give me a hammer, I can hammer a nail in. And that, beyond that, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit lost. So I don't know how much help I really would be. But, yeah, I went down there, did some supervising. Did some, did some, uh, you know, did some pointing. Did some. Oh yeah, that that beam that goes over here. Oh, that beam yeah, over there. Did a little bit of that. They seem to appreciate it. Maybe I don't know. But yeah, things certainly looking up for KU football as they head into spring ball. There certainly are still some some interesting storylines with with KU. But uh, I think you can now, like I said, kind of put to bed this one of okay. Lance is not going anywhere. He's had his chances to leave. He's had his chances to use KU as a stepping stone, and he has not done that. And I think it's clear that he is uh, now locked in and going to be at KU, which is a huge positive for KU football. Travis Goff and Lance Leipold, they're going to speak tomorrow morning at a press conference. We'll, we'll play that audio, get to that audio on tomorrow's show in the afternoon. Uh, so they're going to sit down and probably kind of hash out more of the contract how it came about and also going to be talking more about spring ball and more about everything else so we'll get to that audio on tomorrow's show of both Travis Goff and Lance Leipold later on tomorrow afternoon so that should be a, a, a more good insight into how this process unfolded and where KU's at right now preparing for spring ball because I think there are still some questions about spring ball when you think about where you I mean you know it's going to be at Rock Chalk Park I guess but like okay cool you know, so there are still some questions to be had about that. So I'm sure we'll hopefully get a little bit of insight about that as well. Uh, so we'll have that audio on it tomorrow's show and more uh, inside analysis as well. I went out, went out early here on RCST. Coming up in about 20 minutes, actually, we're going to be stepping out for coverage of KU women's basketball. 4.45 pregame for a 5 o'clock tip for the KU women. Plus, we'll have the sub-state high school basketball coming up as well at 7 o'clock tonight with Lawrence High on the boys' side taking on Olathe North. So that's a look at what's coming up here this afternoon and this evening as we are out early on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And speaking of the KU women, I did want to dive a little bit deeper on them and do a little bit of preview of them of their game coming up this afternoon right here on KLWN. So let's talk a little bit about that and more coming up on the other side. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Almost half past four here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. 
I'm Nick Springer. We're going to be out here in just about 15 minutes to step out for KU women's basketball coverage at 445. Tip off at 5 o'clock for the KU women against UCF. 7 o'clock tonight, by the way, after the KU women's game, we'll have high school substate action on the basketball court with LHS on the boys' side taking on Olathe North. Joel Becker and Matt Llewellyn will be on the call. Uh, that one coming up tonight at 7 o'clock. So on the men's side for KU, things don't go well for them. Last night they lose 76-68 to 68 against BYU. Uh, or an ugly game for Kansas, and they lose for the first time at Allen Fieldhouse this season. Just the 18th loss of Bill Self's career at Allen Fieldhouse, which continues to be very incredible. I've been a part of, I think, five or six of those. So, But I was not there for, for the BYU game last night, so you cannot blame it on me. But, uh, yeah, tough loss for KU, and we'll dive more into that coming up uh, throughout the rest of tomorrow's show as well as uh, on Friday before we look ahead to Baylor. But I didn't want to get into KU Wins basketball here as they are going to be playing right here on KWN coming up at 5 o'clock against UCF. And this is obviously a big game for Kansas uh, because they are coming off of an emotional win against Kansas State in the Sunflower Showdown on Sunday at Allen Fieldhouse in front of a, a record crowd for the Jayhawks. And this game against UCF is sandwiched right in between the end of the season, the last game of the season back at home against Oklahoma, who, by the way, is in first place in the Big 12 right now. And UCF, by the way, has been not good this season. They are not a particularly good team. UCF is 12-14 and 14 overall on the women's side. They are in dead last in the conference at 3-13 and 13 in Big 12 play. Kansas, meanwhile, six, sits in seventh place. And the good news for Kansas is Kansas at 9-7, and seven, there's a clear drop-off after Kansas to the rest of the conference. They're at 9-7. and seven. Oklahoma State is at 7-10. and 10. Then you got a bunch of teams at 5-11, and 5-12, 4-12. Kansas is one game behind Iowa State at 10-6. And, and then you got Baylor at 11-6, West Virginia at 11-6, and the top in tech, Kansas State, Texas, and Oklahoma in the top half of the conference. So the good news for Kansas is they're in a position where they probably won't drop any lower than seventh overall in conference play. But beyond that, what's more significant for KU, obviously, is their NCAA tournament hopes. Sitting at 16-11, and 9-7 and seven in the Big 12, they do have some marquee wins, including this one they got against Kansas State. And as I said, this is the classic. I mean, the, the, you if you look up the definition of trap game, you would see this game. UCF's dead last in the conference. They're 12-14 and 14 overall. They are on a four-game losing streak. And they have not been particularly good, really. They don't score very well. In fact, in this four-game losing streak, they've scored less than 60 points in all four games. They put up exactly 60 against BYU. And in the other three losses, they've scored less than 60. This is not a great UCF team. And for Kansas, coming off of that big win against Kansas State, this will be a test of KU's maturity, I think, of refocusing, settling down, going on the road against an opponent that is not very good and taking care of business because after the win against Kansas State on Sat on Sunday, you know, listen, that's a game you have to win to make the NCAA tournament. And I notice the way that I phrase that, a game they have to win. On the flip side, this game against UCF is a game you have to not lose. <laughs> and 
basically meaning you can't lose this game against UCF and expect to make the tournament. So all that, everything that you gained from beating Kansas State on Sunday, I think could be thrown away if you lose this game against UCF. Especially when you look at Oklahoma being your final game of the season at Allen Fieldhouse. And sure, you'd like to be able to win that game and, and defend home court. And I think if you beat Oklahoma at that point, you're you're certainly in in the NCAA tournament, almost regardless of what happens with the Big Twelve tournament. But again, Kansas with that win against with the win against Kansas State on Sunday, you are the third team out of the last four in right now. If you're Kansas, so you are still very much in a precarious position to where a loss against UCF on the road would probably knock you. What I think actually would certainly knock them back out of the tournament in the in the bracketology. If you're looking at ESPN's bracketology on the women's side. So, it's a big game. It's a big game for Kansas. Samaya Nichols has been outstanding this season. Tiana Jackson's been really strong. I continue to believe Holly Kerskeeter is probably the, the key to unlocking the highest potential for this team. Zakai Franklin has stepped up at times. And this is a game where if you're Kansas, you can take you take care of business. And if you take care of business in this game and you become 17-11 and 11 in your last game against Oklahoma, then I think in that Oklahoma game, you want a position where it's a you win that game, and you're probably in, regardless of what happens in the NCAA. Of the, you're probably into the NCAA tournament, regardless of what happens in the Big Twelve tournament. So, if you look at the Big Twelve tournament right now, Kansas, as I said, is is they're not locked into the nine seed, but they, or they're not a uh, seven seed, I should say. They're not locked into the seven seed. In fact, they could go higher, obviously, if they're able to win these last two games against Oklahoma and UCF. I mean. Depending on how things shake out, they could jump up to you know a, a five or even maybe even a four seed if some of the teams in front of them maybe lo- lose a game or two. But with the lowest being that they could be a seven, that would have them playing on Friday, March eighth, and they would be playing in the seven ten game if they are the seven seed, which the ten seed right now is BYU, a team that they've beaten twice. So far this season. And and I do think if you are going to be the seventh seed if you're Kansas, you're in a position where you again, it's it's so tough to tell, so tough to say how things shake out with the NCAA tournament. But with Kansas, the point being you have everything in front of you, you just win and you're gonna be in. You're gonna be fine. And if you lose, you don't want to have to rely on some of these other teams. You look at the uh NCAA ESPN bracketology, it's like you've got uh, Interestingly enough, Penn State is on the first four out, and that's a team that beat Kansas early in the year. So if it comes down to if push comes to shove, and it and it's you know Kansas Penn State, that loss earlier in the year could negatively impact Kansas potentially. So they are still very much on the bubble and continuing to fight. When you look at this UCF team, they're going to be playing tonight. The biggest thing that jumps out, they don't have really a ton of great size. Which means you look at Tyana Jackson again, possibly having a having a, a big game for for KU. UCF's top player is a transfer from Indiana from uh, Indiana, Caitlin Peterson, averaging twenty points a game at five uh, nine. So one of their guards, but they don't really. But after her, they don't really have anybody that can really score. Is uh, kind of the biggest takeaway from from looking at them. And again, they have struggled to score. Uh, down the stretch here as part of this four-game losing streak that they're on coming into this game against Kansas. But listen, it's it's senior night. 
in Orlando. We saw Kansas lose on the men's side uh, at UCF. So if you're the Katie women, you got to be on your toes here. And, and again, this is the definition of a trap game. I mean, the definition of uh, of a trap game here for Kansas. So take care of business. Don't let it become a trap game. Get the job done. And then you can focus on Oklahoma and possibly having a chance to play your way into uh, the NCAA tournament if you are KU. As I said, we will get more into the KU-BYU loss coming up more on tomorrow's show. Because of the KU women's game, we're going to be out here in just a few minutes here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So we'll get more into the KU men's game against BYU. Have some more thoughts on that tomorrow. Also probably have some more thoughts as well on uh, the Lance Leipold extension or Lance Leipold contract and whatnot. Uh, Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks, is is scheduled to join us tomorrow as well. So we'll have a chance to talk with him. Also going to be doing our KU mailbag. The KU mailbag has been moved tomorrow. Typically, it's a Wednesday segment because of everything that was going on today and with the shorter show. The KU mailbag has been moved to Thursday. So if you would like to submit a question, you can hit us up on our social media at RCST1320 on Twitter slash X. You can also email us at RCST1320am at gmail.com with your question. We also have a text line at 785-843-1321. So uh, for tomorrow's show, you can submit a question via the text line uh, about really anything. Anything. Could be anything. In fact, some of the best questions we get are often questions that are just kind of off the wall, not necessarily related to KU. But uh, please hit up our social media, RCST1320, DM us or tweet at us with your question, and uh, I'll get to that on tomorrow's show for the KU Mailbag. KU Women's Basketball coverage coming up next here on KLWN. And don't forget, we'll have high school basketball coverage as well coming up afterwards tonight at 7 o'clock. Joel Becker, Matt Llewellyn on the call of LHS and Olathe North for uh, sub-state action for KU Basketball. But that actually does it for this edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Out early for that KU Women's Basketball coverage. Thanks so much to Henry Greenstein of Lawrence Journal World for hopping on the show earlier today. And as a reminder, if you did miss any of the conversation from today about recapping KU-BYU with Henry Greenstein or some of the Lance Leipold talk, check that out on the Best of RCSD podcast anywhere you get your podcasts, including at KUSports.com, presented by Massage Envy. Once again, thanks to Henry for coming on the show. And, of course, thanks so much to you, as always, for listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We'll be back tomorrow, 3 to 6. It'll be a regular show tomorrow, 3 to 6, right here on KLWN. Until then. See ya. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCSD podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk, your only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD podcast presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.